Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. starting a brand new message series today entitled Stuck, Is This the Life That You Imagine? And right away, when you look at a title like that, a lot of you are sitting there looking and saying, well, I'm, I feel pretty good, Tara. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have major, major, major problems crashing down on me, so I can kind of uh, take a nap here for the next 25 minutes. Some of you do that anyway. But um, truth of the matter is, is that um, sometimes it's not necessarily the big things in life that cause us to be stuck. Um, sometimes, and I would venture to say, there might be a lot of you sitting in this room um, that might be stuck and you don't even realize it. Um, see, the truth of the matter is, uh, I think we, we all can from time to time be stuck. Stuck in routines, stuck in moments in life. And some of them we like, some of them we don't like. But here's the truth. Exactly. Here's the truth. A lot of us, when we're stuck in places, sometimes those places are not necessarily what's best for us. And those are the places that we're going to really look at throughout this month is areas in our life that we fall into and we might like them. We might not like them. But the bottom line is, are they leading us in the direction that God has for us? Maybe there is something more in this life than just what we're living. The truth is, some of you might be saying, well, Terry, what causes us to get stuck? What are some of the things? And we're going to do that today. So let me give you a roadmap. If you're a type A engineer in this room, you're going to like it because I'm going to tell you exactly where we're going. I think there are two very, very important things that cause us to be stuck. And in fact, there is a writer of the book of Hebrews that's going to come out and we're going to see in just a second. In the first chapter of Hebrews, he comes out and he is addressing a church. He's addressing a group of Jewish believers. You see, let me give you a little bit of context into this book. There's a group of individuals, Jewish believers, that for their lives as Jews, they would look at the scriptures, they would look at the scrolls, and they would base their life based on a set of rules, regulations, and laws, and they lived that way. Then all of a sudden, a man by the name of Jesus Christ came onto the landscape, and all of a sudden he started saying things like, I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets or the law of Moses or the laws that you've learned. I came to fulfill them which kind of made everybody kind of go, okay, what is right, what is wrong? Because Jesus started doing things that were a little bit different than what they understood. So all of these Jewish believers are sitting there and they're now in a church and they're trying to figure out this Christianity thing. And so some of the Jews were saying, well, we don't necessarily need to live by the law anymore because Jesus came. But then some of them looked at some of the things that Jesus did, which were kind of a little different than the law. And they said, well, I'm not sure we need to do what this is. And so there was a lot of confusion in the church. And there were some people who were basically saying, well, we don't necessarily need to do either of it. We can kind of chart our own course. And so in essence, that church was stuck, stuck not moving in the place that God wanted it to. So the writer of Hebrew is going to write a very strong note to them. And then we're going to anchor on one passage, which is going to tell us when we get stuck, what to be aware of, and then more importantly, how do we get out of it? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 1, or you can follow along on the TV screen, your iPhones, iPads, whatever you got. Here we go. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. For those of you who are not Christians in the room, prophets were individuals that were called by God to speak his word or direction 
to the people. That's how God spoke to the people. He spoke through the prophets, continuing on. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe, continuing on. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. In other words, the writer says this, the prophets were the ones speaking for God and setting laws and setting things so you know it would know how to live. But then he sent his son, Jesus Christ, because God had an amazing plan. And through his son, you see the character of God. Through his son, you see the plan of God. Through his son, he fulfilled what the prophets were saying. That's what he's saying. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he then sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. In other words, not only did Jesus die for our sin, not only did he fulfill the law, but he's God because he sat in a place of honor next to God. In other words, yes, Jesus Christ did what he said he was going to do. Very important. Last but not least, this shows that the son is far greater than the angels just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. In other words, all right, Jewish believers, yes, the prophets spoke. And do we abolish those things? No. Instead, you look through the lens of Jesus, through the truth, to be able to see how you are to live your life. If you want to know the character of God, you want to know the plan of God, you look through the lens of Jesus and you will see, and it will chart a course. Now pause really quick. What this writer was doing in the first four verses of the book of Hebrews was giving context. He was basically telling everyone, hey, this is how it was. And this is why you are struggling, why you are confused. Because you're either, you're making it an either or. You're saying, well, do we believe in the prophets or do we believe in Jesus? And what the writer was saying is, yes, you believe in both. Because Jesus fulfilled what the prophets had said, and Jesus sat on the throne, so he is God. And so you need to filter it through that. So he was driving them. Now, here's what I love about the Bible. If you've never read it, it's really cool. There's a two-letter word that's going to come. And a lot of times we read this two-letter word, and we just fly by it. But I want you to pause Christians in the room, and every time you see this two-letter word, it should resonate in your head. Students, it should resonate in your head. I need to stop, and I need to ask myself a simple question. What did I just read? Because here's what we Christians do when we read the Bible. We read, you know, we get to genealogies, we skip over them because we just don't want to read all of it. And then we kind of get through and, you know, we think about our lives and we're just kind of getting it done. And then we see this two-letter word, and when we see it, we blow past it, and we really don't understand what we're reading. So let me show you this two-letter word. So, so, we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard. We may drift away from it. Pause. The writer continues later in Hebrews and says, So, Christians, now that you know that the truth came from the prophets, but Jesus Christ fulfilled it by his life and what he did. So now that you know that he is our guide, the way we should live our lives. So you know that Jesus fulfilled God's plan. You need to always go back to that truth. Or you will drift from it. It's a very simple phrase. So. We must listen very carefully to the truth or we will drift. If you are stuck today, there are two reasons why I think we get stuck. Here's the first reason. We have a lack of truth. We have forgotten what the writer of Hebrews said. 
Some of us in our room, and let me make it simple. Some of you, based on your personality, we all have personality greats. Some of us are really amazing in our personalities and we have strengths. But with those strengths also come deficiencies. And those are those rough edges that God continuously wants in our life for us to work on every single day through his power and his help. Students, guess what? You're not perfect. You are going to make mistakes. Some of you have tempers. Some of you struggle in a lot of different things. Your parents get on you about one thing over and over and over again. This is the reality calling out in us our personalities. We have positives and we have negatives. So what do we do? Do we just ignore the negatives? No. Every single day we say, all right, God, my parents keep telling me this. My friends keep telling me this. Maybe this is a part of my personality that is not strong, and I need to work every day through you because you're God and I'm not. And maybe I need to ask for your help to work on this because the truth is I'm not perfect, and the truth is that we all have struggles we need to lean on. I believe the reason why many of us in this room are stuck today is you've forgotten the truth that you're not perfect. And you've forgotten the truth that you have flaws. And for some of us, we've just gotten settled in a routine, and it's comfortable that we don't want to work anymore. We don't want to listen to the writer of Hebrews to be able to say, you need to work on your truth. And the reason why that writer wrote it is to remind us every day of the filter for which we're to view life, and that's through Jesus Christ. Let me illustrate this a more contemporary way. Okay, I'm going to ask a couple of my volunteers, if you'd come up for just a second. I've asked a few students to come up and be my volunteers. Would you give a round of applause for our volunteers here? Come on, don't be afraid. You can come on up, come on up, come on up, come on up. All right. I chose these four students because here's the truth. Guys, here's the truth. I've lived a little longer than you, and you can come out here and come right up front because we're going to have you look at this TV and just say, so come right up front here. All right. Here's the truth. I've lived a little longer than you, and some of these individuals have lived longer than you, some very lot longer than you. But um, here's the truth. They've experienced a lot of things in life, They've, you know, a lot of history, different things. And what happens is, is that when we see things on TV, when we hear things spoken, when all of a sudden maybe you say something because you're younger, all of a sudden you might see an older adult pause and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, I've seen this before. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, I've heard this before. Caution, caution, you know, let me tell you something. And you're looking and going, you're crazy. What are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. The truth is, is that as you get older, you develop more filter because of your experiences and the truths in which you face. So here's a little game we're going to play. I'm going to ask you five questions. And they're going to be based on culture, pop culture, history. And some in this room that are a little wiser in generations might know some of these answers. You might not. You're just going to give us your best guess. So you got a piece of paper and you got a pen. I'm going to ask you the question, and then you're going to write down your answer, and we're going to see who wins. Does that sound good? All right, here's what I need you to do. I need you to all turn around really quick and look at that monitor right there, that TV. And here's the first question. Which American vice president invented the Internet? I mean, you know, I know you guys take government. I'm sure that's in there somewhere. You know, a vice president, president, you know, just very, very important question. All right, after you get your answer written down, I want you to turn around, and I want you to look at me. All right, turn around. Here we go. What's your answer? None. That's a good guess. No, not true. You got no clue. Your pen doesn't work. That's not good. Well, do you have a guess? Do you have a guess at all? No. You said none. Who, who invented the Internet out here? 
Al Gore invented the internet. There you go. There's very important historical questions for you. And some of you are like, why do I don't understand this question? Don't worry. You don't need to understand. You just need to turn around and face the next question. Here we go. Number two. What is this man looking at? You ready? Just write down your answer there. Very intently at it. When you got your answer, you can turn around. All right. What do you think he's looking at? A voting ballot you would punch. Very good. Don't copy her answer because I might be fooling you. A bill. Yeah, sometimes we look at it like that too. I've done that too. Yeah. A telegraph thing. It's interesting. You do realize. Well, let me look. No, you got some people who would know that. Yeah, go ahead. A bill as well. All right. What is he looking at? Take a look. A hanging chad. How many of you remember the election of 2000? I lived in Florida. I promise it wasn't my fault. All right, number three. The most visited house in the USA is the White House. What is the second most visited house in our country? Stumped you all, didn't I? This is pop culture. This is very, very important. This is stuff you've got to know. Very, very important things. All right. Do we have a guess? The House of Representatives. No, they go on vacation a lot, so that's definitely not the answer. Go ahead, you. The Capitol building again, vacation. You know, they take a lot of that. Go ahead. The Biltmore House. That's very nice. You know, I think we could probably, you know, if we have like a Disney experience there, we could probably the popcorn and stuff. You know, those old rooms, they just need to kind of tear stuff up. I'm just kidding. Yes, what do you got? You have no idea whatsoever. All right. Does anybody out there have a guess? The second most visited house. Graceland is the second most visited house. Now, guys, some of you are looking at me like, what is Graceland? So there's this guy called Elvis Presley. And he's a pretty amazing guy. You need to know this stuff. So he lived in a house called, it was Graceland in his house. And do you know how many visitors every year go to Graceland? Over 300,000 visitors a year travel to Graceland to look at that. I mean, this is, you got to know this stuff. You need to take this back to your school and you need to tell them and bring me, I'll teach you something. All right, here we go. Number four, please explain the meaning of this historical sound. Wait for it. It's just amazing. Amazing historical sound. Go. All right. What do you think it is? You don't know? What it's called? I'll give you a second to think. Fax machine? He forgot. What is it? Dial up. Dial up internet. Exactly. You see, back in the day, you just couldn't click and a screen would open up and everything be there. You had to like hit, hit a little start button. You saw a little yellow man running and then he would pause and he would stop, and you'd watch this line just glow, and sometimes it glowed forever, and then you'd get there, and then wait for it. You would have like at least like six seconds to wait for one page to load up. It was very fast during the day. It was very incredible. Dial-up internet. All right, last, now, now this last one. Now, this is getting into my generation here, and my, if you're in my generation, you know, you pop culture. This was an amazing group. It was a group, of, a group of guys that I used to make fun of, but all the girls swooned over. I mean, this, they were the thing. So, Take a look at this question. What are the next two lyrics of this amazing song? Play it again, Max. 
What are the next two words? Ooh, she feels like she. I'm gonna give you a few seconds to think about it. Step by step. Yeah, there was the, we we just heard that. That that's the next two words. The next two words that we want. I know it's hard. You're in front of people. I understand. No good. Sorry. Right. By step by step by step. That's good, but no. Yes. No idea. No idea. All right. Well, do you, one last guess. It was ooh baby. Absolutely. And for a bonus point, do you know the name of the group? Who knows the name? New Kids on the Block. Absolutely. Just, you know, flashback just with me a little bit. You can take a look. They were cool, man. Look at look how they were dressed. That was how you dressed back then. Right there. Look at that. That's dancing right there. That's what it is right there. How about a round of applause for our nice job? I have no prize for you. I just wanted to have a little fun with you. Thank you very much. Now, a lot of you are sitting there and saying, Terry, what is, what in the world? You know, this and that. Here's the truth. I showed you a bunch of questions that were pop culture related, and when you saw the answers to that question, it framed your thinking. It framed the which you saw certain things in a specific way, far different than what these individuals were looking at. And so the truth is, it's always important in your life, whether it be in your marriage relationship, in your relationship at business, for you instead of having strong opinions, to make sure that those opinions are based on truth. Because sometimes the truth will frame a way in which you look at things far differently. So sometimes we get stuck because we fall into a lack of truth. We get stuck in our own way. We like things a certain way. And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what the truth is. Hey, this is how I like it. This is how I feel. And this is the way it is. And if we don't go to truth, we don't see it differently. So a lack of truth is the first thing. Second thing that gets us stuck is what I like to call a steady drift. This is the most dangerous of things. Back in the 1600s, you had um, nautical sailors, and the sailors, they would go ahead and plot out a course. In fact, if you look at a map, the sailors would go ahead and look at the map, and they would actually draw pictures of clouds blowing in a certain direction because they were trying to let other sailors know, hey, if you get in the, in the ocean and if you get in your sailboat and you start going, you got to be careful because the wind is going to blow in different directions at different places, and you could fall into a drift you don't want to be part of. The reason for this is a lot of them didn't know the difference between north, south, east, and west. Now, a lot of us already, we make fun of those sailors. Like, How do you not know the difference between north, south, east, and west? So let me ask you a question, audience. Do you know where the terms north, south, east, and west come from? Or have you always just trusted that it's north, south, east, and west? Sometimes it's important to go back to the truth. And so just for fun, take a look at this. Did you know that the word east comes from the Greek word for sunrise, which is the word eos? East, sunrise comes from the east. Did you also know this? That south came from the word newness or noon, which was known in Europe as the sun direction or south. In Europe, at a certain point, you would stand around noon and look at the sun, and the sun would be south, and therefore you got the term south. Did you also know that west, I love this, came from the Latin word for evening, which is pronounced vespers? How many of you remember in church what vespers was? I highly doubt that, but good try. Vespers was known as evening prayers in the church. And the reason why we get West is because people would mispronounce it instead of calling it Vespers, they would call it Westpers, thus getting the word West. And I love this one. The word North 
came from the Scandinavians who called the area north of them the hell direction because of where all the in-laws lived. No, wait, sorry. Um, Because of how awful the area was, the Greek word was nerteros, which was changed to nord and eventually north. Did you also know this? While I'm again pouring into truth and I'm dialing down a point and I promise I'm going to get there, but did you also know this? That sailors were afraid, even though they knew where north, south, east, and west were, they also didn't know how to necessarily pinpoint where certain things in the water were. So they had to come up with a system where they can on a map say, over here is where this direction or where this island was. And it was a system called longitude and latitude. But did you know where longitude and latitude came from? Well, back in the early days, you know, sailors, they would sail on one body of water more before mostly any other. And that was the Mediterranean Sea. The Mediterranean Sea was known to those sailors as being long and wide. Thus, Med Sea, long and wide. Longitude comes from the word long, and latitude comes from the Latin word lata, which means wide. And so all of a sudden now you're starting to get an education or you're starting to drive down to the truth. And this is all important for one reason. The sailors needed to know the definitions. They needed to know the truth. Because if they didn't, they would end up drifting. Did you know that sailors were afraid to get into the waters traveling to North America for this reason? They had sailors get in the water and they would start and they would just say, we're just going to head west. West direction, we're fairly confident, and we will go and we'll hit North America. However, many of the early sailors would head directly west. And before they know it, they would end up getting turned around. And they would end up back in Europe. And they wouldn't realize or understand how that was happening. Because they didn't understand the truth that there's something in front of the East Coast called the Gulf Stream. And every time they'd hit the Gulf Stream, the Gulf Stream waters would actually take them back north and would turn them back out to sea to a steady drift. And so how, why am I saying all this to you? I think the truth of the matter, there's many here, that you've got very strong opinions in your family, in your relationships, in your business, and you think your way is right. But if you're not careful, you could be drifting. If you're not back in the truth, if every single day of your life you're not getting up and saying, God, Search me and tell me where my heart is as a husband, as a wife, as a single adult, as a brother, as a sister. God, where am I at today? God, am I on the right track or am I drifting in the wrong direction? There's a lot of individuals that are stuck today because you refuse to pause and get your bearings. You refuse to figure out what is north, south, east, and west. You refuse to figure out on a point, where am I at in my life? Where is the map at and where am I stationed? And because you refuse to do this, you end up drifting farther and farther. And there is a danger. And I just want to tell you, there is a danger for those of you that are drifting. And the writer even cautions us in Hebrews as he continues. Take a look at this. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm. And every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? The writer basically says, who can escape the truth? The truth is Jesus Christ. Who can escape this? No one. I kind of sit there and look at this and say to you and to me, if every day I don't do an analysis of where I'm at on my map, I could be violating what God has intended for me. 
And if I'm not careful, sooner or later there will be a cost to the violation. And God is very delicately trying to turn me to the right direction. Now here's one last thing, one last nautical term for you. Sailors who drifted too long. If you drift too long, you're going to end up in a place that no sailor wanted to be. And that place was known as the doldrums. The doldrums was an area around the equator that has no wind. And for sailors, they needed wind to steer their direction. And if sailors got into the doldrums, it meant certain death for many of them because they would be stuck for a long period of time. But the greatest danger of the doldrums wasn't that you got stuck. The greatest danger of the doldrums was that you didn't realize you were stuck. Because mariners during that time, they feared storms and sea monsters. And when all of a sudden they ended up in peaceful waters drifting, they thought, oh, finally, we can relax. Finally, this is much better than being out in that weather over there. And they relaxed and they would eat normal rations and they would sit for a few days and they would say, oh, this is wonderful. And then all of a sudden they would realize there's no wind. And before they knew it, their rations would be gone and they would starve to death. That's the danger of the doldrums. It's the danger for you and me because a lot of you are stuck and you don't even realize it because we get stuck because we love our routines. We get stuck because we love the way that we're at. We get stuck because we don't think we need to change. And that's the most dangerous place to get stuck. If you're sitting there saying, you know, Terry, I don't do an analysis of where I'm at. I don't strive every day to iron out the rough edges. I need to get unstuck. If that's you, then here are eight things that I want to help you to get out of the doldrums. Take a look at this. Number one, face the truth. It's as simple as when you go home tonight and after the Falcons beat the Patriots, here's what you do. I just had to throw that in. I really don't care. I just joke. Here's what you need to do. You need to tonight say, God, some of you need to say, I haven't talked to you in a while. But God, I want the truth about where I'm at. I want the truth as a husband, as a wife, brother, sister. God, where am I? Where am I really? Where am I at on the map? Do I have anger issues? Do I have commitment issues? Do I have, am I impatient? I mean, my family tells me I fly off the handle all the time, but what is it that I am struggling with? Some of you just need to face it. Because once you face the truth, then you need to dream. You know, God, I have this. And I don't want it. And my dream is to live a life where I don't struggle with this. Dream big. Write it down. Number three, assess your current state. God, at the end of the day, where am I at and how do I need to move? Number four, prioritize your life. What's more important? What needs to stop. This is one of the hardest, is when you finally sit there and say, okay, I'm dreaming, I want to be this, but it means I have to stop this. And for some of you, you like the doldrums. You want to keep coasting. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to stop. Number five, be realistic. Who or what do you need to ask for help? Some of you can't get out of the doldrums yourself. You need to ask for help. That means you need to go to a brother, a sister, a mom, or a dad, or a friend and say, 
help me. I want to get better. I have anger issues and I want to get better. How can I do this? Can you help me? I don't want to do this anymore. And some of you need to do this. Number six, number your goals. If you're an extrovert, you love this. All right, here are my goals. I want to do this. 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 This is great. But we extroverts hate the next one. Date your goals. Oh, you mean I actually have to accomplish it? I like just putting it all on the paper. I don't want to necessarily do it. Some of you need to date your goal. And last but not least, go. Get moving. You could do it. Here's the last thing and I'm done. There's a man in the Bible by the name of Amos. And on Wednesday night this past week, we had over 170 people here in this room taking experience in God. And one of the passages of scripture we looked at was a man by the name of Amos. Amos was an ordinary Joe. He was a shepherd. And here's the great thing about Amos that Amos didn't understand. That God sent Jesus Christ down to the earth and has an incredible plan. And Jesus Christ spent his time on the earth becoming more like us. Isn't that true? Jesus experienced temptation. Jesus gave up a ton to humble himself to be a human, to experience temptation, to experience all different types of things. He became more like us. At the same time, challenging us to become more like him. And so Jesus Christ said, I want you to be more like me. Hang in there with me. If Jesus Christ said to us, be more like me, it means Jesus Christ moved mountains. Jesus Christ performed miracles. Jesus Christ was extraordinary. And so God looks at a man by the name of Amos and says, Amos, my desire and my plan for all of my children is to be extraordinary. I don't want you to be routine. I don't want you to be in the doldrums. You have the power to be extraordinary if you just trust me. So Amos, take a look at this passage from Amos chapter seven. Amos is a regular Joe and watch what happens. But Amos replied, But God, I'm not a professional prophet. I was never trained to be one. I'm just a shepherd. I take care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord called him away from his flock and told him, go prophesy to my people in industry. God wants you to become more like him. And God is looking at you saying, stop drifting, stop living in the doldrums and start living an extraordinary life because I don't want you to be ordinary. God wants to take ordinary people. Next slide. God wants to take ordinary people and make them extraordinary. Problem is for some of us, we don't necessarily want to do that. And so God wants to take the extraordinary and make them amazing. You just have to trust and you just have to believe that. I'm going to close with this and I just want you to look at the screens right now. This is what we call fact over feeling. Take a look at the screens. Facts over feelings. Respect the next step. All eyes over here, respect the next step. For some of you, it's as simple. For some of you, it's as simple as making sure that as you in your life move forward, that all you do is, is that you take the next step. It's very simple. The reason why I say respect the next step, I was a baseball coach, and I used to tell my players, from home plate to first base is 90 feet. I don't want you to think about second base. I don't want you to think about third base. I don't want you to flip the bat, think you hit a home run. I want you to start at home plate, and I want you to go to first base. Respect 90 feet. The reason why I tell you this is very simple. 
For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. God will make a new path for all of us if you just believe and move forward. I'm done. Here's the question. Are you stuck? Is it time to start moving? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love, your grace. I ask and I pray, Father. I ask and I pray, Father, that you would bless each family represented, that you bless the dads in the room and that they would daily know where their direction's at, that they would be able to every day take one step and move forward. I pray that you'd bless each family. But God, most importantly, for those that are in the doldrums and those, Father, that are wasting, remind them that they have the opportunity to have an extraordinary life. Encourage them today, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.